Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday the 13th, 2019. Ooh, it's spooky. Well, yeah, and speaking of spooky, uh, for a lot of reasons, boy, <laughs> that Adams Family thing you just sent me that you found on YouTube. Yeah. First of like all, a... how did you find that? I got a press release about uh, that, Jim, that was like, let's see what it is, mm -hmm. what the headline was, but it, it's basically a music video mm -hmm. slash... Yeah, it says, Adam's Family original song, My Family, performed by Amigos, Carol G, Snoop Dogg, and Rock Mafia, now available. So that's the headline of the email. And yeah, and again, it keeps hammering over and over again, don't mess with my family, don't mess with my family. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing with this this project, the line for your, from the posters, your favorite family is back, back in theaters on October 11th. I finally found out the log line that's out there that for the movie, and it's it's basically the Adams family's lives begin to unravel when they move to New Jersey and face off against the 21st century and its greedy, arrogant, and sly reality TV host Margot Needler, while what? also preparing for their extended family to arrive for a major celebration. Okay, we got Margot Needler being voiced by Allison Janney. I noticed. That the film is being released in North America by MGM through United Artists Releasing, but overseas, it's being released by Universal Pictures, which I got to wonder about the theme park implications of that. This feels like a very Illumination-y project, even though it's not. So yeah. I can see that kind of fitting in, you know. Well, Illuminations would have got done a second or third pass on the art direction here. I mean, that's the thing. I kept waiting as we, we saw, you know, teaser trailer, trailer, and it's like, okay, they, they're going to turn out a shader. They're going to clean this up a little bit. And it's like, no, they're not. This is what we're actually going to get. Conrad Vernon, director of this, also directed Sausage Party back in 2016. Mm -hmm. That movie only cost $19 million to make. And let's be honest, it, it looked like it cost $19 million to make. Or, but it still made $140 million. So you can make money off of a kind of bad-looking movie. I guess i got to get over myself that if, if this is what Adam's Family is going to look like, this is what Adam's Family is going to look like. I mean, we both talked about how we understand that they're trying to emulate the original Charles Adams drawings, yeah, but, but something was lost in translation. Yeah, but if the standard promotional plan kicks into to, to place, uh, you know, so the week, 10 days before this opens, the voice cast starts making the rounds. We've got Charlize Theron, we've got Oscar Isaacs, and every appearance that he's going to make on Kimmel and Fallon and, you know, live with, with uh, Kelly and Ryan, they're going to be asking him about the rise of Skywalker. Likewise, what, Finn Wolfhard, who's, who's it's not fest Pugsley, he's voicing Pugsley. So he's going to go out and everyone's going to ask him about you know, Stranger Things 3, and is there going to be a Stranger Things 4? So this is going to get a lot of play. This is going to get, you know, the, and the, the clips are going to run everywhere. So it's going to, a decent opening weekend, don't you think? I mean, again, October 11th, just in that, you know, Halloween window. Yeah, I just, I, I wonder if the name recognition of the characters is really what it used to be. Because when the movie 
came out in the 90s, the original mm-hmm. uh, live action one, the, there were reruns of the original series still on, you know, television. This is true. So I, there hasn't, I don't know. I mean, you're right. I'm sure the marketing blitz will be pretty aggressive, but mm-hmm. that, that's the only thing I wonder about. It'll be intriguing to see, you know, what, what the fall off is for business between weekend number one and weekend number two. I mean, somewhere in the mix there is Maleficent Mistress of Evil. That's not the same weekend, isn't it? It's the weekend no, after? No, I don't believe so. Yeah, it's weekend. Maleficent is October 18th. Ooh, okay. okay. Yeah. So so weekend two suddenly got tougher. Okay. Yeah. Charles Adams' drawings are so wonderful, and it's just, you, you look at this, and it's just like, really? Anyway, speaking of dark things, and this isn't funny, strange, Charles Adams' dark. This is pretty savage dark, like, gouge the eyes out of a woolly mammoth dark, but oh my god, <laughs> primal. Yeah, have you seen the TV, TV ads they've been showing on Cartoon Network, where it's like yeah. 30 seconds of just animals screaming, and it's just like, wow, this is going to be intense. And that's what kind of intrigues me about Adult Swim's decision to put this thing out in theaters. You know, it's coming out in theaters like in a week, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah, uh, I've got my ticket for um, September 21st. Mm-hmm. It's at uh, a theater in downtown Los Angeles. And I will be there if you see me. Say hello. Um, okay. The speculation is that they're somehow going to put this up for the Best Animated Feature Oscar. Hmm. Uh, that by stitching them together and having it run in a theater in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, that it qualifies. So that's the speculation. Not two years ago, we had the long overdue fifth season of Samurai Jack, which people also came at him, you know, about it, that it was dark and it was so much darker than the original series, so much more violent and. And that had a relatively brief run on Toonami for, what, uh, March 17th through May 20th of 2017. But you look at Primal, and don't get me wrong, I love the art direction. I mean, it's beautifully done, and, you know, and it's really strong animation. But at the same time, this is just dark. Right behind this is supposed to be Gennady's next feature, Fixed, which is supposed to be R-rated? Yeah. Has anybody checked on Gennady lately? Is is he okay? <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing that the big X factor is the announcement for Hotel Transylvania 4, which we've covered on the show. And I cannot get a straight answer as to whether or not he's involved or not. Every time I say, is he doing it? They go, I don't know. So. I really have begun the group, you know, the Hotel Transylvania movies with, with Ice Age. You know, I mean, the first Ice Age for all of its production issues i mean the whole section of the film they cut with sid being sort of a hound hitting on you know other female slots and likewise you know again they initial film they killed diego but in the end they 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 delivered a good strong movie but then with each of the subsequent ice age movies i mean they'd make more money but they'd be less entertaining yeah, I was pretty impressed with the third Hotel Transylvania, though. I thought they did some really interesting stuff with it. I don't know if you ever saw it, but... Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I'll, I, I will grant you, you know, they, they certainly freed up the look and, you know, by changing the location and, and that sort of thing. But I remember, you know, talking with them when they work at a Hotel Transylvania 2 and the whole notion of the little girls of America don't want to see Mavis pregnant. <laughs> 
you know, so it was how to, you know, quickly move Selena Gomez's character from married to pregnant to having a child without really hammering that. Speaking of which, did you see what Miley Cyrus said about why she got fired from Hotel Transylvania? Oh, yes. What was it? A, a penis-shaped cake. Am I yes, remembering yes, this? Yes, yes, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the amazing thing about being an entertainment writer in this age, Drew, is it, it used to be there were filters. <laughs> you know, yes, it's like, no more, no more. You know, maybe you shouldn't tell that story. Ah, the hell with it. I, you know, <laughs> you know, God bless Twitter, you know. This, there you go. There we go. Okay, so speaking of Primal, okay, so again, it's at the downtown L.A. theater. It's seven-day run from September 20th through the 26th, but the Adult Swim debut of Primal comes on October 7th. And, and speaking of, of other television-related stuff, you just watched the first Undone? Is that that uh, yes, first I episode? Did. Okay. Yes. Th- this is Netflix or Amazon, correct? It's uh, Amazon Prime, yeah. Amazon Prime. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and again, this comes from Toronto, the Eisner Company? Or? Yes, it's, it comes from Toronto. It's created by Raphael Bob uh, Waxberg, who created... Bojack, obviously, mm. and okay. Kate Purdy is the co-creator uh, oh, wow. and writer. Okay, and um, yeah, it's really something. It is mm. done in a sort of um, pseudo rotoscope style that reminds me of Waking Life or mm-hmm. Scanner Darkly, mm-hmm. two movies that I really love. And um, the first one is pretty much set up, but it's really engaging and funny and emotional, and I cannot wait to see where it goes, because there's mm-hmm. a, a twist at the end of the first episode that's pretty pretty shocking. So, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited to watch the rest of them. You mentioned that one of the things that most impressed you about Undone is you grew up in San Antonio, and this yeah, is... Yeah, it's set in San Antonio. I had no idea it was set in San Antonio. So, I uh, yeah, in an opening sequence, she's driving by a arena that looks very much like the Alamo Dome. And I thought, oh, that, that's interesting. I wonder if there's other arenas like that in the country or something. And then later they're, you know, on the river walk. And so it becomes very clear that it is San Antonio. And I would recommend anyone visit San Antonio if you haven't. It's a wonderful city, a fun place to grow up. And as long as we're talking about animation for television, whether it's streaming or, or the like, we, of course, have to talk about this last four and five episodes of season two of DuckTales. Yeah, so season two is done, right? That's it. Well, yeah, but but it, the interesting thing is that, that it, you know, in the last, what, minute, they set up season three, which I, I can do. How do you feel about t- talking about that? Can we spoil that a little bit? or About season three? Yeah. What about it? Well, I, you know, the, the whole notion of the dark conspiracy that we... we oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we get to see the, the, the three vultures who are basically Scrooge McDuck's board of directors, who it turns out are the head of some sort of nefarious organization. And I, I'm sure somebody out there is already talking about the, the animated characters that were sort of standing in the shadows there and who they are. Right. Well, I mean, they're they're members of FOWL, which stands for the Fiendish Organization of World, Lars- of World Larceny. Mm-hmm. And they were on Darkwing Duck, primarily. But they were on DuckTales, too, so... Okay, because I recognize Steelbeak, but the, the rest of the characters were like, okay... I'm not, you know, that, that, you know, was kind of intrigued that, that, and I thought, you know, I used to watch Darkwing back in the day, but, you know, it was like, okay, Steelbeak I picked out, the rest of them 
was like I'm right. Not- so in the reboot, the, it's composed of Black Heron, Jeeves, mm-hmm. John D. Rocker Duck, Phantom Blot, who is that kind of like shapeless blob oh, inside God, the uh, yes, inside okay the, from from yes. the classic Mickey's. Yeah, yes. okay, the- and uh, and Gandra D. So those are the the new ones, the new members of Fowl. Yes. Okay, and you know, supposedly they're going to try to take down the McDuck organization, the the Duck family, in season three. Where were they in that episode a few a couple of days ago when when uh, Glomgold got all the bad guys together? Glomgold is the one who actually got me into buying these stupid ducktail things because I, got, <laughs> I was in Target and I looked up and there, you know, hanging on a peg is one lonely Glomgold figure. And it's just, I mean, wanders the aisle and the Scrooge and the Donalds and the nephews were flying off the shelf. And here's one lonely Glomgold. And I'm like, oh, who's going to buy that? Suddenly I'm thinking of Stinky Pete in Toy Story 2. It's like, <laughs> you know, somebody's got to give this thing a home. So, it's, right. you know, so I brought it home. And then again, because I'm, I, you know, again, I have the collector gene. Well, well I now have one of them. I have to get the rest of them. You know, so, and that's why I have all of this DuckTales crap here on my table. But but I love that, that they actually gave Glomgold a heroic arc, even though in classic Glomgold fashion, it made, in fact, I love, that was the thing I loved about the Moon Invasion episode, that the only plan that worked was the plan that made no sense. And of course, that right. was Glomgold's plan. At this point, I want a shark in a Parker plush. You know, I, I, <laughs> That was so good. It was an interesting mix of, you know, the, the five very strong episodes and in their own unique ways. In fact, the episode where Glom Tales, where, you know, it was all of the villains banded together, that was great fun. Did you have a favorite out of the bunch? Or? I thought this finale was pretty amazing. Just the mm-hmm. way everything came together. I loved, um, I obviously loved Donald's um, mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse oh, melon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then also I loved Donald dressing up as Darkwing. So, yeah, there were a lot of things from that fi- finale I really loved. To go full castaway with Donald, I thought, was was a brilliant choice, especially with the watermelon Mickey Mouse, you know, that, that you know, yeah, standing it so for Wilson. Oh. It's so funny that they didn't notice that he was, he'd been gone so long either. <laughs> Honestly, this show has such strong writing. And, and, and again, when you, you think about, you know, how random it was when they brought feathery into the show at the start of season two and then oh well you know that then you begin to realize that it's like you know the writers of the show i love that that there is that sort of Chekhov mindset it's like look we showed you this character we introduced this giant freaky shrimp and you know we're bringing him back you know that's you know you don't you don't introduce it in act one if you don't not going to use it in act two but these are good solid shows and i think for me what i enjoy about ducktales is the writing and the voice work is strong enough that you can sit there on the couch with your child as an adult and enjoy these just as much as they are. It's good, strong, funny writing. And I guess my only concern is that how many animated series lately have, you know, I mean, what we saw uh, OKKO OK shut down after two seasons. Um, I'm trying to remember what just got shut down after three. That seems to be the new... Gravity Falls only had two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, the whole notion of you have these wonderful worlds, these amazing characters, and it's two and done. 
I remain ever hopeful with Gravity Falls, though. I'm, I'm hoping that at some point further down the line that we'll get a chance to revisit that world. I mean, you, you know, know, Jim, it's times like this when I want to just uh, tell you about this new piece of real estate that I've got on the market called the Brooklyn Bridge, and I was wondering <laughs> if you would like to purchase that. Well, no, no, wait a minute, okay? We've got Phineas and Ferb and Candace coming out for, for Disney+. Plus. You know, That's true, although Swampy and... Uh, the other guy. What's the other guy's name? Oh, uh, Dan. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan they, they, Yeah, they've still been in the Disney family this whole mm-hmm. time. Alex, I feel like, has uh, left the building and lit it on fire. Although, did you see <laughs> that they announced that he is one of the main voices in Owl House? That did intrigue me. The more I see of Owl House, the more I hear about Owl House. Definitely, you know, on my radar, definitely something worth it checking out. It probably helps that his girlfriend is the creator of Owl House, and she kind that, of got a... That, you know, know again... You know, power that, couple. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> before we get in too much trouble to supposing what that was about, uh, I tell you what, folks, we're going to jump off, uh, do a commercial break here, but when we get back... Uh, we're going to follow up on uh, what uh, Peter Jenkins, the letter he sent us last week. You had wanted to talk about the Animation Is Film uh, Festival. Oh, yeah. It looks great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's coming up soon. Well, they announced the opening and closing night festivals, which are Weathering With You, the Mm -hmm. Makoto Shinkai follow-up to, what is the movie? Your Story or uh, what what was that movie? Your Name. Your Name. Mm -hmm. So this is the follow-up. This is the Japanese entry for the foreign language feature. Uh, in this year's Oscars, and I'm sure we'll also get an animated feature nomination. And then the closing night film is I Lost My Body, which we've talked about before, the yeah, French film. Yeah. Um, um, which won a grand prize at Critics Week at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got a lot of great stuff um, going on in this week of programming, which is actually it's just one weekend, October 18th through 20th mm-hmm. at the TCL Chinese. And uh, they've got things like a preview of Frozen 2, which is probably a lot of the stuff that, that I saw mm-hmm. at the long lead day. Yep. A special screening of Steven Universe, the movie. That must be very yeah. cool to see on the big screen. I would love to do that. Okay. Um, a uh, special behind-the-scenes look at Klaus. Think, again, you know, yeah. okay, to, to, see, to, 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 just on, on these alone, this definitely makes it worthwhile. So. And a... Uh, a hair love uh, event uh, ah, with the filmmakers man. in person. Alice was after me just before she left town. We were trying to get out to see Angry Birds 2 just to catch that. Well, I won't be as good as, I think, what, when was it? Last year, I did a, I hosted a panel there hmm. for Incredibles 2, but, you know, so you won't see me there as of yet. I mean, I, I know that this is a big letdown, but... Okay, the, the, it yeah. just went from a, a, you know, a 10 to a 9. I just, yes. you know, it's like, Man, all right, but okay, that, that that they'll correct that error next year. Trust me. Yes, I okay. hope so. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, and, and now to shift over to our, our main topic of the feature. Uh, you know, again, last week, Peter Jenkins said is this this wonderful letter. Uh, in, in again, just quick Reader's Digest version. In the 1980s, uh, 80s, 90s, 2000s, there were a number of animators of the Disney Renaissance who were practically royalty. Uh, Glenn Keane, Andreas Stasio, Mark Henn, James Baxter, Eric Goldberg, Kathy Zielinski. 
and into the tragedy of Disney abandoning these artists' chosen art form. I just wonder if you had any insights as to what they're up to these days. And so last week, we talked mostly about James Baxter, who is one of these guys who there is, in fact, life post-Disney. James proved that in a lot of ways by leaving Disney, going to Dreamers, going back to Disney, setting up his own studio. You know, it's funny, you just you talked about just now about Klaus at, at uh, Animation Film because, you know, that's that's where James is now. He's the head of character animation at Netflix. And, you know, he's kind of riding herd on, on Klaus out ahead of its, you know, theatrical release and then being able to, uh, you know, streaming on Netflix. But... I thought for today's show, Drew, we'd talk about Glenn Keane and Andreas Dejia. Great. And their careers at Disney. Now, you know, I don't need to, you know, you know, to tell you about Andreas. You know, I mean, you know, face it, uh, he had one of the more amazing runs at Disney, at least when it came to the villains. You know, I mean, what, he had Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. He had Jafar in Aladdin. He had Scar in Lion King. And, you know, I always loved that story about he was supposed to do Hades for Hercules, but only when they were talking about Jack Nicholson voicing that character. And when they couldn't land Nicholson, he was like, well, you know, I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to do another villain. That's why I thought that was I thought Goldberg wanted to do him, too. That makes sense, though. Um, I was just reading this amazing story about Eric Goldberg and how when he was working on Pocahontas and Disney, how miserable he was with the notes that were coming down uh, on Pocahontas. He, he felt like every time he turned around, they were like, you know, making the film worse because they were trying to make it that much more important. And the interesting thing is that Eric Goldberg became friends with Chuck Jones during this period. And Chuck gave him this this really bizarre piece of advice. And it's like, well, you have to understand that, you know, the reason they're giving you all these stupid notes is they hate you. And it's like, what? They said, well, yeah, you can draw. They can't, you know, and they really resent <laughs> that. So, you know, and, and evidently Eric you know, took that to heart. It's like, well, you're just mad because you can't draw. So he was also after. Uh, uh, That's what he, I had heard because because I heard that he did Phil after he couldn't after he didn't want to do Hades because he was yeah. But anyway, okay. Because yeah. Nick Nick Ranieri ended up doing Hades. In fact, you know, you and I have talked previously about is it, it Nick's Twitter feed where it's his Facebook page. Yeah, boy. Yeah. If you if you drill down into that, I mean, I was amazed when in that feed. There was, you know, he he put he's posted a piece of animation of Hades that he did back when John Lithgow was the voice of the character, and it's one of these things where it's like, you know, in fact, I remember I, I reached out to you immediately because I thought as soon as Disney Legal finds out, this goes away, and yeah, you know, and it hasn't been taken down yet, amazingly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course now here we are helping. Hey, Disney Legal, do your job. So, um, yeah. But anyway, Andreas Andreas was a master and still is a master of hand-drawn animation. As Disney entered that weird period where it's like, hey, maybe we're not doing this anymore. Here was Andreas doing things like Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Really experimenting with, with the form, really sort of expanding. And you look at the latter stuff that he does... 
What did you think of Mama Odie in uh, Princess and the Frog? I really like Mama Odie. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely a change of pace, but yeah, I mean it. It it's wonderful line work and, mm-hmm. and characterization, and and um, yeah, I think Princess and the Frog is very underrated and a really charming, wonderful movie. <laughs> Yeah, again, that, that, that's Drew's polite way of saying, you should have invited me to the 10th anniversary exactly. thing at the Academy. I mean, I don't even harbor all the ill will that you do about them sort of sanitizing it and, and whatnot, but we can save that for another podcast. Okay, okay. Yeah. but Okay, so we jump ahead to what wound up being, in fact, we talked about this last week, uh, Winnie the Pooh, the 2011 feature-length one. The interesting thing is Andreas had his pick of characters and what he decided to do is he wanted to do Tigger because his hero, a member of the Nine Old Men, Milt Call, uh, had animated Tigger in, in that character's, you know, debut film for Disney, which was the 67 featurette, uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Bluster Dragon. And in fact, that's the one that went on to win the, uh, the Academy Award for Best Short, Shot, uh, Short Subject. And um, what I find fascinating drew is that andreas leaves disney in january of 2011 where winnie the pooh doesn't even open in the uk till april and and then in u.s theaters till july of that year so he he saw the handwriting on the wall disney hadn't officially said anything at that point but there was no hand-drawn follow-up for winnie the pooh in the works at that point and Andreas, when it came to CG, again, when I talked with him about it, he always said it wasn't animating. It was puppeteering. And he said, don't get me wrong, puppeteering is an art form. It, it's an art, but I'm an animator. I like working, you know, I, I like hand drawn. I like working with a pencil. But again, you know, the problem is when you're a master of an art form, but it's an art form that major corporations do. And if it's just not, you know, the, the, the folks who were in the corner office have decided we're not making that anymore, they don't make it anymore. So Andreas walked away from the Disney company, though the interesting thing is that he almost immediately begins working for the Walt Disney Family Museum. First, he works on an exhibit called Deja View, which is, uh, you know, uh, this exhibit that celebrated uh, his own artwork. It uh, ran at the Family Museum from March uh, 23rd to October 9th of two seven, uh, 2017. And just this past year, uh, he curated an exhibit for the museum, Mickey from Walt to the World. And uh, that started in May of this year and runs through January 6th of uh, 2020, but it's it's 400 different objects. And Andreas knows Mickey intimately because he animated that character for The Prince and the Popper and the, the feature that, that went out with uh, The Rescue is Down Under. This is a guy who isn't willing to give up on hand-drawn animation, even though, you know, major companies like Disney just aren't willing to, to spend the money to make those movies anymore. So he's he's making a film on his own, this passion project called Mushka. Have you seen any of the stuff? No, related? nothing. I, I go to his website every once in a while to, like, check in, but I haven't seen anything from that. Well, there's a, a couple of little uh, tests that are, uh, in fact, the last time I talked with him, uh, he was envisioning having Mushka ready to uh, take out on the festival circuit later this year, early next year. The theme of this thing is basically it's a little girl 
who finds a, a tiger cub. She lives in, in Siberia and how these two characters grow, grow together. And uh, there's a couple of uh, pieces of, of, of animation out there. There's a couple of pencil tests that he's put up, a couple of color tests, and it's beautifully drawn. And, and more to the point, it is, uh, Andres has made a, an obvious choice that he wants you to see the pencil work. He wants you to see the line work. He talks about how when they were doing color scenes for this, they wanted you to be able to see the color pencil texture and trying to figure out how to do it without making the colors too vibrant and, you know, how much film grain and all that. I mean, it's beautiful stuff. Uh, you know, in fact, that the most recent thing that was posted online was July of this year. Uh, urge you folks to go hammer on Google uh, or head over to YouTube and check this out. But this film's coming. We'll see this uh, probably in 2020, which is kind of ironic because isn't that about the same time we're going to see Glenn's new movie? It should be on Netflix next year, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, and now to, to talk about uh, Glenn Keane, um, well, look, face it, Drew, if if we're, you know, if, if we go with what Peter Jenkins was talking about, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, if there was a celebrity animator, it would have to be Glenn Keane. Some of that grew out of who his dad was, uh, Bill Keane, the, 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 the gentleman who drew the Family Circle daily cartoon panel. And, you know, Glenn came through the door at Disney and sort of made a, you know, a, you know, a big splash with his first assignment of size. And that that was what the, the bear and the fox and the hound. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, you know, right after that, we got Radigan for the great mouse detective and uh, certainly didn't hurt that, you know, his first character that talked wound up being voiced by Vincent Price. And then there was literally this run where, you know, if there was a lead character in a film, Glenn animated. I mean, face it, he, he did The Beast and Beauty and the Beast. He did Aladdin and Aladdin. He did Pocahontas and Pocahontas. I'm Tarzan and Tarzan. He was the guy, do you remember when, when, when Jeffrey Katzenberg described him as the Tom Cruise of animation and Mark Han <laughs> as the Julia Roberts of animation? <laughs> Yeah, because I remember, you know, Julia had that prominent mustache. You know, yes, just sort yeah. Of like, uh -huh. you, know, you eventually got that dealt with. Right. Um, I, but, but the interesting thing uh, for me is that Glenn always, always, always had one foot in the CG world, even as he was being acknowledged as the modern master of hand-drawn. I mean, think about it. The, the first time he really comes on the radar at Disney is when he and John Lasseter... In fact, we've talked about this in, in previous fine-tunings. That test they did for the Where the Wild Things Are, where John was going to do the CG end of the film and, and Glenn was going to handle translating Maurice Sandok's characters to hand-drawn animation. And then, you know, if you just look at, you know, he on every film of size that he worked on, he found himself having to figure out, okay, how do my hand-drawn char characters interact with CG? The clock scene inside of Big Ben in The Great Mouse Detective, or the, oh, the ballroom scene in Beauty of the Beast. The chaos scene in The Cave of Wonders in Aladdin. Yeah. Just think about the deep canvas stuff they did for Tarzan, where he was 
you know, that they, they had him the equivalent of, of skateboarding through the jungle along the treetops and all that. On and I guess the capper was when Glenn, you know, and, and this was always putting his hand drawn animation on top of CG stuff and interacting and making it all look seamless. And uh, the capper for that has to be Treasure Planet, where you know, literally, here's Glenn working side by side with CG artist Eric Daniels on uh, Long John Silver. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, that whole movie uses deep canvas in a way that people, I think, might not recognize. But that mm. deep canvas is all over that movie. Um, it's really fascinating. We could do a whole show on deep canvas, but yeah. Yeah, that movie just breaks my heart. I mean, it it's, just, it's not it was good. one of these things, it's still, you know, that's the thing, I, I, you know, in a weird sort of way, in in my mind, it's the companion piece to the, the Winnie the Pooh story in 2011. I, I'm trying to remember which of the Harry Potter movies came out in 2001. It might actually have been the very first one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but I think nobody at that point knew that the Potter movies were going to be as big as they became. But Poor Treasure Planet went out against that and never really recovered. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I don't know when was the last time you watched that movie, Drew, but it really does hold up. It's really well done. Has some, Treasure some Planet? amazing... Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it in a while, and I remember being sort of bored with it when it came out in the theaters, hmm. but I feel like that okay. and Atlantis have steadily accumulated a cult following and actually anytime we would do any treasure planet stuff on on oh my disney or disney insider people mm -hmm. went crazy so mm -hmm. there is a strong fan base out there for sure uh, i don't i don't know that i've always wondered what would have happened if um you know face it in, in much the same way that jack nicholson was you know who disney really 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 wanted for hades uh, who Disney really, really, really wanted for Long John Silver was Sean Connery. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some Hunt for Red October vibes are there, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just, you know, took him, Brian Murray did an amazing job. But, you know, just, again, sometimes just that little bit extra star power in the tank helps with the movie. So we jump ahead. It's, it's post-Treasure uh, Planet. And... Glenn has been working on Rapunzel. In fact, the, 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 the interesting, Glenn admits that he was working on developing Rapunzel as far back as 96. You know, they're, they're, you know when Tarzan was having story issues. Uh, in fact, I, I've got, remind me, Drew, I've got a copy of the script you love. It, it's literally a version of the story where Tarzan goes back to London. And, you know, the entire climax of the film is set inside of Greystoke Manor, which, you know, uh, he's, he's in a wing of the building where basically all of the animals he loves have been shot and stuffed, and now, you know, the building's on fire. So, you oh, know, my just, God. Which, of course, would have lent itself so beautifully for a theme park ride. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, what, when clear they were having story problems, Glenn sort of pivoted and began working on... Rapunzel, and when uh, Treasure Planet was over, and Glenn sort of indicated that, you know, kind of like Eric Goldberg, it's like, you know, I would love to take a shot at directing someday. And it's like, well, Disney sort of made this deal with him to the effect of like, okay, look, we'll allow you to direct, but we really want Rapunzel to be CG. But can you be the guy 
who, you know, the hand-drawn guy who, you know, helps us deliver films that look as good as A Beauty and the Beast or an Aladdin in CG. And so uh, there was this very famous uh, meeting that was held on the Disney lot on April 4, 2003, where Glenn stood on stage in front of 50 of the studio's best animators. And the whole point of the presentation, in fact, the name of the presentation was the, the best of both worlds. And the notion is, can we do this? Can we take what Disney does, you know, the wonderful hand-drawn films, and using the CG toolkit, can we make a, a classic Disney film? As I understand it, there were a lot of people who weren't happy that Glenn stepped forward and sort of took this on. In fact, it didn't help that, you know, remember, 2003 was the year that they shut down the studio in Florida. You know, they did all sorts of layoffs. And and again, this is more telling about Disney management at that time than it is about Glenn Keane. But they kept giving him notes to the effect of, this needs to be more like Shrek. You know, that, that Shrek made lots of money and it was snarky and it was funny and can we do, you know, a version of Rapunzel that's more in the style of Shrek? And so I don't know when you were in the building, how much of that stuff you came across. That was, this was the version where it was Reese Witherspoon is the voice of our Rapunzel and Jack Black was sort of her hero. And it was the version where it was the high school girl and her jock boyfriend who lived in modern day San Francisco who were having a fight in uh, their apartment, and the fight got so loud that a book fell off the shelf. Oh, and, yes. Yes, yeah. it was Rapunzel, and basically the Mother Gothel character got tired of listening to them yell and conjured them into the book and put the high school girl as Rapunzel. And then it, it just the whole notion of... But there was always already a Rapunzel in the story who was being voiced by Christine Chinoweth, and they turned her into a squirrel... I got to see this for the five minutes somebody put up uh, the story reels on YouTube. Why didn't you rip those for the rest of us? John? I That's didn't know it was going to be gone in five minutes. I mean, it it had some, you know, you would have been fascinated by the, the opening, Drew. I mean, it literally, it's in modern day San Francisco and they are doing, they are speeding through the city. They'd stop for like a tenth of a second on a specific block and then continue to speed and eventually ended up on that street in San Francisco where they have the painted ladies' houses. And mm -hmm. they go through a window and, and you, you start this scene with the uh, the cheerleader and, and or the Reese Witherspoon and Jack Black's characters. And the finale literally was a, a coach driving, you know, a coach pulled by six horses plunging off a cliff and only seconds before they hit the ground wings spread out of the horses and you know it, it's like you didn't mention they were flying horses it's like oh i should have brought that up earlier i it had it was one of these things it had wonderful ideas but it, its tone was so weird very un disney it was it was disney doing a dreamworks impression glenn famously had a cardiac episode in 2006 and Disney used this as an excuse to sort of ease him out of being director of the movie. And that's when Nathan Grano and Byron Howard took over. And that's really how we wound up with the Tangled we have today, which is 
Tangled, in a weird sort of way, does snarky, but Disney style. I mean, I, I, I yeah, love yeah. Flynn Rider is definitely a modern male. Also, the, their take on Rapunzel, I loved how conflicted she was. That best day ever seen. And, you know, I'm the worst person ever. I mean, that's some of the funniest 60 minutes of animation, you know, I'd seen in years. Yeah, I think that I think the shame, though, is just that some of the kind of technical things that Glenn wanted to do, like he wanted to to utilize some kind of program that would emulate brush strokes within oh, the the yeah. paintings. Remember, they wanted it to look. She's in front of that that famous piece of the woman swinging, and he wanted right. the entire movie to look like that. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the thing that I bemoan about the Glenn's firing or whatever you want to say. Yeah. We'll say firing, although Disney will say he had to to go away because of his heart condition, but. It's a shame that that stuff didn't get get off the ground. But he's had a great, you know, career since. Oh no, 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 definitely. He, you know, but again, that that's the thing. He he, Tangle gets released in November of two thousand ten. Glenn hangs on uh, through March of two thousand twelve, but he leaves Disney to go form Glenn Keane Productions. And you know, initially it was kind of like, okay, so what's Glenn gonna do? And you know, he, uh, you know, in fact, that very same year, uh, Mickey, you. Lee's Adam and Dog film. You've seen that one, right? About the, the Adam and Eve and the dog they had in, in the Garden of Eden. No, I never have seen that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting piece. It's it's and you gotta remember that, that that's the other thing. Glenn was very upfront about his Christianity. In fact, uh have you ever seen any of his Adam Raccoon books? I've oh. seen them, but I, I've never like looked through them. There's eight total. He started doing them back in in 1987 where the first one was forever falls and they've just recently updated and reprinted them in in 2016 but yeah he's he's been very upfront about you know his beliefs and 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 that sort of thing and so it it sort of made sense that he'd work on this film Uh, but what startled a lot of people was when he did dear basketball uh which was based on on kobe bryant's retirement poem and it's like, wow, I, that doesn't seem like something that Glenn would... Now, mind you, he'd done um, what a, that ballet film. Yeah, Pearl, which was amazing. That was like a VR scenario. Yeah, for Google+, Plus, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, and that was the thing. He was, you know, and, and, you know, again, kind of ironic that here's a guy, you know, forehand drawn, but at the same time, you know, embracing this new technology and, you know, how you can storytell with that. But yeah, you know, so to get back to Dear Basketball, uh, that premieres at the Tribeca Film Festival back in April 2017, winds up taking the Academy Awards for Best Animated Short last year. Uh, yeah, at the March 2018 ceremony. In fact, there's a, a lot of people who were very amused by the fact that, you know, I mean, face it, it's the Academy Awards and you only get two minutes or so at the uh, the podium and here's poor Kobe Bryant towering over Glenn and he can't get a word in edgewise because, you know, Glenn is just, <laughs> you know, chatting away. But, you know, at the same time, Glenn had lots to celebrate at that point because the month previous he'd been set to direct Over the Moon for Netflix. So, you know, here he's finally actually going to get to make his directorial debut. And the very next month, we're back at the Walt Disney Family Museum. We're now, you know, here's this six-month celebration of of Glenn's art, uh, make-believe, the world of Glenn Keane. 
So I guess again to make the point, uh, Peter, you know that like you know again when you leave Disney, you can still have a, a, a thriving career. It's just, but you don't get to make these giant corporate features that support theme park rides and lines of plush and collectibles and that sort of thing. On the other hand, Over the Moon, very interesting story. I, you know, that, 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 I've got the, the log line here, Drew, that it's an animated musical adventure feature film about a girl who builds a rocket ship and blasts off to the moon in hopes of beating a legendary moon goddess. And But when she gets to the other side, she unexpectedly discovers a whimsical world filled with fantastical creatures, some of which threaten her and others who ultimately help her find her way home. And to bring this kind of full circle, because, you know, we were talking about Gennady and all the work that he'd done uh, for Sony Pictures Animation. So Sony Pictures Imageworks is doing, is the animation vendor on this thing. Them and Pearl. Them and Pearl, who, uh, by the way. Abominable. Yes, which, again, I got to say, the more I see of the ads for this movie and, and the clips and that sort of thing. I am really looking forward to this. I saw it this week, so... And? Oh, well, again, it, I know cute. you're embargoed. Well, well, no, I, I'm not embargoed because it played at Toronto, so okay. I can talk right. freely. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's fine. It's beautiful looking. You kind mm-hmm. of wish they had spent more time on the characters, and anyone who has seen Up will, will feel like the bad guy is almost a blatant <laughs> carbon copy of that character. <laughs> Oh, dear. So, you know. <laughs> okay. There's some interesting things, but we'll have an interview with the director next week on the show. So oh, cool. Cool, cool, for, cool, cool. Look forward to that. Well, speaking of things to look forward to, you, of course, in addition to working on this podcast, you have the wonderful Light Diffuse podcast. And yes. Um, I just saw you... Uh, tweet out a, a storyboard right or oh yeah so yeah uh, mark bristol who is a great storyboard artist who lives in austin who we're we're buddies with and we've had him on the show mm-hmm. uh has started storyboarding seven and eight so the wheels are turning jim uh, the wheels are turning so okay. yeah all, all up to the minute light the fuse news mm-hmm. uh, mission possible news will be on light the fuse we just did a bonus little bonus episode about Haley Atwell. Mm-hmm. We even got a statement from McCory. So, you know. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, no, 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 folks, seriously, if, if you're a fan at all of that series of Tom Cruise movies, this is this is a must-listen-to podcast. On the other hand, you know, that, that you, you know, on my side of the fence, also some podcasts you'll probably enjoy listening to. We've got Disney Dish with uh, Len Testo. We've got Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zare. Uh, we've got uh, Marvel Us Disney uh, with Aaron Adams. Uh, I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. And uh, Dustin Fuse. Uh, I, I, I did, we do the Universal Joint Show with, and I should point out that we're just eight weeks, ten weeks out now from our event in Florida. It's going to be November 15th through the 18th. The, the nice folks at Storybook Destinations have set this one up, but we're going to be wandering around both uh, Universal and uh, Isle of Adventure. I'm hoping it will be as much fun as what Drew and I did last year at Disney's Impossible. Hollywood Impossible. Impossible, Jim. Okay. Uh, but on the other hand, something else that... Uh, another event that's coming up fast, actually. Uh, in fact, uh, this week, uh, the Indie Disney Meet uh, in Noblesville, Indiana. Uh, this is going to be held September 21st 
at the Hamilton uh, County 4-H grounds. And I'm going to be there with Dan Zare. And we're going to be doing a special on location looking at Lucasfilm. We're also going to have Aaron Adams sitting in with us on that one. Uh, yeah, why wasn't I invited to this, Jim? I feel I feel personally attacked. Well, you know, old man Hill forgets things sometimes. You know, <laughs> I was supposed to be on the Disney Dish. I should be at this event. I'm feeling so left out out here, I'm, Jim. I'm, I mean, I'm so sorry. I will tell you what. You know, I will be sending a box with air holes to your house later today. So climb in and join I us will. in Indiana. No, it sounds like a great event. I know Dan's very excited, so it should yeah, be a good well, time. And and be sure and swing by the table, folks, because I that it's I. We are we have a pile of books and, and goodies to give away over the course of the event. So yeah, and if you're lucky, you might go home with Dan Z. I mean, that would really. Be, <laughs> I think his family would thank you for that. I, I you, you no know. no no be nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, to get back to the podcast now, folks. Again, uh, it would be very helpful to myself and Mr. Taylor uh, if you would swing by iTunes and rate and recommend shows like Light the Fuse. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what we do here uh, at Jim Hill Media, uh, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And I guess that does it for now. That's but it. Uh, tell you what, folks, you come back next week. Uh, as, as Drew mentioned, uh, we'll get more in-depth into Abominable, and that's when we'll be sharing Jill Colton, right? That's the yes. director? Yes. Oh, she has okay. some amazing stories, so All I think right. you're going to love it. Can't wait to hear those. Okay, that's it for now, folks. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.